Welcome back to the program. Historians and journalists have devoted millions of pages to trying to understand the world. In fact, it may be a lot simpler than that. Just maybe it can be done by eating. We've all seen politicians in America campaigning by eating the local foods and imitating local eating customs. Why isn't it the same for geopolitics? If we can understand the culture of another country through the food, perhaps we'd better understand its people and its ideas. The world just might be a happier and more satisfied place. That's kind of what Graham Holiday has done in trying to appreciate first South Korea and then Vietnam, a place that for so long has been so difficult to understand. Graham Holiday has lived in South Korea and Vietnam. He's worked as a journalist, blogged about street food, and has written for The Guardian, The New York Times Magazine, and The South China Morning Post. He was a foreign correspondent for Reuters based in Rwanda and is currently based in Senegal. It is my pleasure to welcome Graham Holiday here to talk about Eating Vietnam, Dispatches from a Blue Plastic Table. Graham Holiday, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks very much for inviting me. Great to have you here. I want to talk first about your work as a journalist and looking at the world through the eyes of a journalist and really relating that to food and the way food has given you insight into to understanding parts of the world. Um, I think particularly in Vietnam, it's very striking because when I first moved there in 1997, most of the foreigners I met um, were not eating on the streets. They weren't going anywhere near street food but of course all the Vietnamese were um, so the life was really on the streets and I figured if, if I wanted to understand it I had to to get down there and, and try it for myself not that I needed a huge amount of encouragement because that's where the best food is I soon learned that um, but it, it seemed to be quite quite an odd contrast to me that you had quite a, a large number of foreigners who lived there but very very few of them actually ate where where the Vietnamese people were eating every single day of the week. Talk about street food being so good, because oftentimes it seems that that is perhaps a mythology, that we always say, oh, the food on the street is great. But in fact, it's true. Talk about your experience in that regard. Well, I mean, I can't speak for other countries uh, so much as, as I can for Vietnam, but certainly in Vietnam, they're very fastidious about quality and about freshness. So anything you get on the street is going to be fresh that day. Uh, you'll be extremely unlucky to get sick about it, uh, sick from it. I know a lot of people do worry about this, um, you know, touching uh, salad vegetables or anything relatively fresh, herbs, for example, on, on the streets. But, but I, I've never got sick from it. And, um, and in fact, the, the worst I ever got when I lived in Vietnam, I was there nearly 10 years, was from a, quite an expensive French restaurant. I was off work for <laughs> quite a while from that. Yeah, really quite serious uh, food poisoning, but never anything from the street. Talk about why Vietnam. Why did you decide that you wanted to spend time living there? Um, well, at the time, I mean, I, I, was, I was young, early 20s, growing up in the middle of England, very few job prospects coming out of a recession, actually during a recession, really, in the the early 90s, um, very difficult to try and find a way out. But I had quite a few friends who were going off traveling, um, you know, doing the year in India thing or China, Tibet, etc. And I kind of wanted to do the same thing for myself, but I didn't want to uh, just pass through the place. I wanted to, to experience it, to live it and um, find out what the people there uh, were like, rather than just being a kind of glorified tourist, I suppose. So... I was wondering about where to go. Vietnam was really off the map at that time. Um, it, it, it wasn't really seen as a place uh, for tourists to go to. Um, and I just came across it in a book. There was a photograph 
of uh, a road going up to the opera house in Hanoi. And it just really, really transported me to this very, very alien environment. And I thought, you know, just one day I'm, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there and live there. And um, in, in the end, it's exactly what I did. But uh, it took a fair bit of planning and, um, um, you know, career changing or, or non-career changing, just finding a career uh, to, to make that happen. But I did make it happen. It took me a couple of years or so, but I, I made it happen and I moved there. How difficult was it for you to settle in, to get acclimated once you got there? Um, it, t- it took some time because it is a very, very alien environment. I mean, it's, it's certainly back then. It's, it's a lot easier now. But uh, there were very, relatively few foreigners, uh, very few places for foreigners to kind of gather and, um, you know, talk, talk about foreigner kind of problems. Um, I was living with a Vietnamese family, which puts you straight into the into the thick of it in a way because uh the family i was with they'd never ever had a a a foreigner they'd never rented to anybody before they'd never had anybody in their house and i was the first one so i was i was a complete alien for them uh with very different ways of doing things and very different expectations being a you know a european in in vietnam so it took some time but one thing that's very good in vietnam when i was there is vietnamese are very welcoming and uh, quite quite good at helping you, and and very good at um, helping you f- discover their food, which is probably the way I I made most friends there through food. How did you find the family that you wound up staying with? They were great. I mean, uh, I mean, they were great in one way in that they were obviously not used to not used to having a foreigner there. I was I was quite strange, um, but. I think there was a, a bit of a culture divide because, for example, he wouldn't give me a key to their house. Uh, and obviously, if I'm coming home after even nine o'clock when they go to bed, I needed a key to get in. Um, on several occasions, I, actually, I was actually locked inside my own house and I had friends over and uh, they, they couldn't get out. They were, we were locked <laughs> in, so they had to stay the night. Um, so there was a few situations like that. Um, which made it slightly uncomfortable, shall we say. And uh, in the end, I mean, it made more sense to, to live on, on my own, to get my own freedom, etc., um, and not really get in the way of the Vietnamese family. Talk a little bit about the experience of working there. You worked as a teacher, as a journalist. Tell us about that. Um, as a teacher, it was, it was quite early in that kind of phase of things in Vietnam. There were, I think there was only one foreign foreign uh, language school there at the time when I first arrived and I very quickly joined uh, what became the British Council there when and we were um, specifically training um, teachers in the government so uh, senior government officials uh, everybody up to deputy prime minister I think we had so we had a quite a quite a broad spread of people and it was quite interesting because you you were you weren't a diplomat as such but you actually got to know some very senior people in the government quite well and, and got to know their families quite well. We'd often go out for dinner and drinks and what have you. And um, years later, when I talked about this to then Deputy Ambassador of, of the UK over there, he was completely shocked. He had no idea I was, had quite uh, good relations with very senior people in the government. And uh, uh, I think they they perhaps thought they missed a trick on using us in, in some way, shape or form. But, uh, um, you know, that, that was, it's just a different relationship because you're not, you're not a diplomat. You're kind of a teacher and not a friend exactly, but you kind of, you know, more, more on a friendship level than, than you would be 
uh, as a diplomat. As a journalist, it's quite different because I was um, based in the South for, to do that. And uh, journalists are not uh, officially allowed to be based in the South. So a lot of the stuff I did was uh, about other places, to be honest. It wasn't a lot to do with Vietnam. I did a lot of uh, frilly stuff about Vietnam with food and and conservation and whatnot. But most of the work I was doing was um, in Cambodia, uh, other parts of the world. I was just actually just based uh, there, you know, or, or I was doing stuff that was, I could have been based anywhere. Um, it wasn't specifically about Vietnam. One of the things that you did evolve out of a lot of those relationships that you had, particularly from teaching, is that you asked everybody about the best street food, the best places to go to eat. Yes, definitely. I mean, that's probably, it's a great conversation opener in Vietnam. Um, everybody has an opinion on food. Everybody wants to tell you where their favorite uh, noodle dishes or their favorite grilled pork dishes or whatever it is. Um, and everybody often wants to take you there and show you and tell you why it is the best one. And and uh, so that, that was a definitely a good icebreaker. Uh, fantastic way for me to get an inside uh, view on a city because obviously if you're arriving in a, a big city as a foreigner, there weren't really that many good guidebooks or anything. And the internet didn't exist when I, when I first moved there. So you're kind of on your own. You really rely upon inside knowledge. And uh, obviously the only way you're going to get it is if you ask questions of people. So, so that's exactly what I did uh, on, a, on a daily basis. Talk a little bit about the differences that you heard from people that one person would recommend one place, one would recommend another, and say the other wasn't as good. It really was, was a competition. In a way, I mean, that's, that's what's so good about Vietnam, because everybody has an opinion, and they'll justify it in whatever way, shape, or form it is, whether it's, you know, the noodles are fresher, or the, the beef stock of the soup is is more delicious, or the, the, the way they make the fish sauce uh, is, is much tastier. So everybody's got a particular taste, and I imagine it's like any other country, really, that these tastes go back to when they were children, and uh, their favorite tastes might remind them of some moment when they were kids, or possibly even these stools, they might have even gone to them when they were kids as well, of course. Um, so it was, it was always quite entertaining to you know, have a couple of people trying to recommend you a particular place to go and eat a good uh, fur, for example, and uh, and then you know they'd be battling it out to try and get their their places as the victor for you. Um, but I, I was up for trying everything, so uh, that's exactly what I did uh, over over what nearly ten years. I, I tried everything I I could find. And tell us a little bit about some of the more exotic things that you tried. What was the food like? Describe it to us. Yeah, I mean those I, I try not to. I try to steer away from that mostly in the book because that. That is, um, it exists. I mean, snake does exist. Uh, various alcoholic drinks with crows in, for example, or bees or lizards, things like that. It does exist, but you do have to kind of go and search them out. They're not going to leap out at you on the street, as it were. Um, you, you, for example, if you wanted to go and eat snake, you would have to go to a particular village called Zalom, which is just over the river from uh, downtown Hanoi. Um, you w you would be able to find it in some other places, but everybody knows that to eat snake, you go to this particular place. There's no other reason to go to this place than really to, to eat snake. So you'd have to hunt it out. Um, so I did try those things. Um, I, d I never tried dog, but I tried snake on a number of occasions, but it was always Vietnamese who took me out, um, predominantly uh, officials in the government who 
would, I think, secretly get quite entertained by watching uh, a foreigner eat uh, an 11-course snake meal and, and drinking uh, snake penis alcohol, for example. But they certainly wouldn't be doing this every every day of the week, not even once a week, maybe once a year. Uh, it's not regular food kind of thing. Were there times that you ate things that you had absolutely no idea what it was? Ooh, uh, not really. Only at the very beginning, um, when I begin the book this way, when one of the, the guys I was teaching um, took me out, and I, I was quite insistent with him. I said, you know, just take me where you like to go. Let's not go somewhere fancy don't go where you think i'm going to like where, where do you like to go so he said okay well if that's what you really want let, let's um i'll take you to to my local my local sort of uh beer place which is really they call it a beer hoy which is basically a place where you sit on the streets or on the pavement and they serve beer it's it's good it's cheap and they they do quite basic food anyway he he said i'll order the food then and um and he did and um I said, well, what the hell is this? And it was a, it was a pig's uterus was the first thing. And then we had a, an intestine after that, um, both of which were, were not the most appetizing things, uh, you know, for the first experience in Vietnam. But uh, I appreciated it after some time that this is what, what's really called drinking food in, in Vietnam. Uh, I never got, got, you know, really keen on that kind of stuff. Um, but... Uh, I, at first, yeah, to answer your question, I didn't know what it was, but I did ask, <laughs> uh, and I, I, he, he told me. You've touched on this a few times. The, the fascination in Vietnam with food, the appreciation of food, why it's so culturally important there? Um, I think it's not just in Vietnam. I think maybe in the West we've, we've lost this a bit because um, families eat together, families cook together, families prepare together out there. I think um, I can't speak for for your country, but in my country, food is something that's generally quite rushed these days. We don't take time out to have breakfast generally together, or or lunch or dinner. Whereas in Vietnam, people do breakfast, lunch, and dinner is is I wouldn't say it's quite sacred, but it's definitely dinner time is family time, and you'll get together, talk about your day, and often you prepare it together. So if you grow up that way, um, food becomes more than just fuel. It's it's uh, a reason for family to get together and friends and to discuss their day. And, and often in Vietnamese families is to discuss uh, why the food's good or why it's not good and how it should be made better and uh, and who, who cooked it, how they got it wrong. That's kind of how the conversation often goes. Um, so I think it's, um, it's to do with the whole kind of community and family atmosphere as opposed to just being about purely food. The other thing that you write about that's food related is not just the restaurants, the places to eat, but the markets and what they were like. Yeah, I mean, markets are everywhere. Um, they're, they're getting a little bit hammered at the moment because there's been all sorts of redevelopment, uh, knocking down of old markets, reconstruction of new ones, faceless, soulless ones, replacing the old kind of wet markets. Um, but basically, every every area of, of the major cities, um, you'll have a market within walking distance of where you live. It might just be an alleyway where people just open the front room, basically, and start selling vegetables or, or a soup or whatever it is. And uh, I think wherever you live in in Vietnam, it's the best way to get to know your that country is to start using your local market, which is a, which is what I did and. 
I um, went to my local market in Saigon for pretty much every day for six years or more and uh, got to know all the sellers, tried all their soups, uh, knew which ones were the best, um, knew, knew which ones would be selling on a certain day and not selling on another day and when they change for the, the Lunar New Year and, um, or sorry, the, the, the Buddhist uh, calendar, they, they don't eat meat at certain times of the month. Um, so I got to know all of that and I think if you're living in a place like that, this is this is the best way to to get to know uh, the people you're living with, the, the area you live in, and obviously the food they they make. Yeah, because they're only going to be selling food on the streets if they're really good at making it, because nobody's going to buy it if if it's if it's no good. They they, they won't be selling it. They'll, they'll they'll have to shut up pretty pretty quickly because nobody will buy food that's not good in Vietnam. Talk about the colonial influence on, on the food there, both the French influence and what, if any, American influence is there? There's a lot talked about the French influence. For example, you know, lots of people say that the, the beef noodle soup that's so famous uh, for, that's uh, very much influenced by pot au feu, which is a, a famous French dish. I'm not completely sold on that. One thing I do know is that the Vietnamese will pick up something uh, an idea. This, this is not just food. This is kind of anything in life. They'll pick up something, maybe copy it for a bit, but then they'll make it their own way. They'll change it and adapt it. And um, they're kind of, um, what's that program you've got over there? Pimp, pimp My Ride or something. They, they've got, they, they kind of pimp everything to, to get it to the way they like. So if you go to Vietnam now, they sell um, doner kebabs, which are quite popular in in Europe, but it's a, kind of a Turkish food, and they, they're kind of making it their own thing. It's a street food uh, now. Um, same thing with the baguettes, uh, the banh mi they, they sell. You won't get a banh mi like you get in Saigon anywhere else in the world. I know you can get it in California. I've never been to California, so I can't, I can't compare, but I think there's a very particular way of, of making a banh mi in Saigon, particularly in Saigon, which is very difficult to replicate anywhere else. And again, that, that would obviously originally have come theoretically from the French. Uh, the American influence, um, perhaps not great on the culinary side, I'm not sure, but I remember one day I was quite surprised, I mean, this is going back to probably 2002, 2003 or something. Um, I remember I was going down a street quite near where I lived in District 10 of Saigon, and I, I found a, a hamburger stall just in, in the middle of the street. I'd never seen it before. This, this, this woman with a you know, metal griddle, and she's just making very simple hamburgers. They weren't very good, but um, she was uh, obviously catering to uh, some local, uh, uh, you know, uh, need for, for American food, and long, uh, long may she continue. What do you miss most now that you're not in Vietnam anymore? We're talking to you in Senegal today. What do you miss most about the food in Vietnam? Oh, gosh, pretty much everything. I mean, um, you know, um, the food there is so varied, um, so good, so fresh. Uh, it's often the, the really good stuff is very difficult to replicate outside of Vietnam. I never eat in Vietnamese restaurants outside Vietnam. Uh, I'm married to my wife, was born in Laos, of a Vietnamese family. She grew up in France. We, we cook Vietnamese food in the family, but we never go to the Vietnamese restaurants. Um, it's just not the same, and that's not just purely down to the food, because lots of people over the years from your part of the world have told me that the Vietnamese food in California is much better than you'll find in Vietnam. And that's possibly true with the 
the quality of the ingredients you can get over there. However, what you can't replicate in California is is the street because the food is just one part of um, of Vietnamese food, if you like, because the on the street you've got all of the motorbikes you've got a yappy dog down the road there'll be a, a crockle cockerel somewhere behind you there'll be tissues and half eaten half squeezed lemons and uh, pig bones and chicken wings and god knows what else under the table and and there's you know the plastic table will be covered in cigarette divots from years and years of people smoking um and then there's people everywhere talking buying chatting comparing uh, their dishes and talking about the fruits they've just bought on the market that whole life is all around you and that kind of that kind of atmosphere you can't replicate it so the food yes you can sit down in a, a vietnamese restaurant in california and probably enjoy your fur perfectly well but it's not the same it's simply not the same you can't you can't replicate that in the states or, or anywhere i don't think outside of vietnam Graham Holiday. The book is Eating Vietnam, Dispatches from a Blue Plastic Table. Graham, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks very much. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.